I want to introduce a special friend today, Dr. Jim Reynolds. And uh, Jim and his lovely bride, uh, Miss Donna, are here with us today. And, and I have looked up to these guys for uh, decades, and uh, literally. And uh, so Jim pastors a church in Dallas called Lake Highlands, along with Donna. And uh, they have been, in the tradition that I grew up in, they have been kind of... Uh, trailblazers and, and have really led the way for people like me to be able to see, hey, there's, there's more out there. There's more to grow into. Uh, Jim, real quick, history sketch. Before I get into that, one of the things, it's really interesting, he and I have had the joy, I, I don't know how it kind of got going, but for the last year and a half, every month, we've been meeting together. And uh, Jim's a little bit older than me, and so it's been great having an older brother to uh, just be on the journey with, and he's really helped me navigate some things. It's, it's good. We all need somebody, you know, that we're connecting with and talking about deep things at a heart level. But a uh, real quick bio sketch on Jim. I just think all this is fascinating. But uh, Jim played basketball at Abilene Christian from 1960 to 64. He is still the all-time point leader at, for the men at Abilene Christian. In, in 60 to 64, they didn't have the three-point line, you know. And so that's, I don't know how you did all that. That's a big deal. And they said if he'd had a three-point line, it had been like crazy a lot of points. Outside shooter. So then he got drafted in the NBA. But he chose not to go play so that he could do a Master of Divinity degree and preach. Then he started preaching, got in California, but decided to do a Ph.D. at the University of California, Berkeley, from 1968 to 72. Just think, think about that. So, 68 to 72, and I'm like, I, when, I, when I heard that, I go, hey, everybody, come in here. Jim's going to tell us about being at Berkeley, 68 to 72. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, Monday nights, they'd do the, the arrests, you know. People come in from all over the country. They'd arrest four, five, six hundred people every Monday night at Berkeley. It's Berkeley, like you know, hate Ashbury, and uh, anyway, anyway, it was a big deal to me. I just, <laughs> really cool. So then Jim starts preaching, but then he goes, you know, I need even more, I need some more freedom to preach and not be tied down with the salary thing, and so he gets a law degree and becomes a lawyer and practices law here in Fort Worth for the couple decades before he retired, and now he's been doing this, the, the pastor role there at Lake Highlands for the last 31 years. And it's a joy to have him speaking into my life. It's a joy to have him here. I never go on this long about introducing somebody. But you guys, it's a big deal for us to have Dr. Jim Reynolds here. Please give an honoring kind of welcome to him as he comes. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Do I need to push a button? Am I on? I'm on. Wow. Yeah, those lights are, are good. I can actually see you. Uh, this, is, this is really an honor for me to be here. I have uh, known Jamie, Kim, a long time, known the passion and for, for over two decades. So it's a long obedience in the same direction. And just, just wonderful to be here. Uh, have a lot of respect for what this church is doing, what God's doing through you. And I want to talk uh, about uh, church and, and talk about Sabbath a little bit, because that's kind of where we are right now, about resting. 
so Lord, just be with us this morning. Help us to enjoy your presence and continue to enjoy your presence. We ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us and to give us joy and rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was taking a course at Regent, Regent College in uh, Vancouver, and at the end of this course, we, uh, the teacher said, let's, uh, let's go across the street, let's have lunch together. So we did. And say 10 or 12 of us are around this big table, and we're all talking, and we've had a wonderful time. And this lady uh, begins to talk, one of our class members, and she said, you know, I don't do church anymore. I don't do church. Uh, on Sunday morning, I find this really good Scottish preacher. It was one of the torrents. Really good. And I listen to him, and I, I find the very best praise music, and I listen to that. And that's church, she says. Well, that led to a very spirited discussion there at that restaurant. The fact is, that's not church. That's virtual reality. It's not real. That church is really messy. It's a family. It's got people are falling all over the place in church. They're doing all kinds of wonderful things, good and surprisingly bad things in church. Some of you may not know that, but I just want you to know it's going to happen if it hasn't happened. That, that's church. But the shocking thing is, is that the highest work of God in the end times is the creation of a people like you for his name. It's people together in the power of the Holy Spirit doing love that tells this community Jesus is alive. And if, so this, you know what this lady was trying to do was she was doing faith and hope, but not love. Uh, I find some people want to get themselves spiritually positioned so they do not have to do love. They don't have to do the risk of love. Love is risky. I've got one of my uh, kinfolk is dropped out of church for 20 years, and she says the church hurt her. I said, I got way more wounds than you do. I got, I got scars all over my body. But you know what's happened? Yours are infected. Mine aren't infected. Mine have been healed. And I have scarred people. I have hurt people. I have said stuff in sermons that actually hurt people. I've had to apologize for bad sermons a lot. And for... You know, I disagree with what I said a month ago. People say, say yeah. In fact, I was thinking the other day that I said something like three weeks ago in a sermon. I thought, that's wrong. And nobody in the church picked up on it. So I got to go back and tell them, that was wrong. It was this and this and this. And I left out this. So it's very, it's a mess. It's imperfect. But the Holy Spirit's there, and people are growing up to become real human beings. 
Because what Jesus does is not make you religious, he makes you a real human being. I love the Ephesians 3.10 says, through followers of Jesus, like yourselves, this is the message, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. What we do here even informs the angels of, of who God is. You know, if in the old NIV translation, I can tell you, this is the, uh, this is the message. In the NIV, it says the manifold wisdom of God is being known, and nobody knows what that is. Manifold wisdom, that doesn't communicate. So I read that all this time, and then finally I'm reading 310, and I'm thinking, wow, look at that. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God, which has come to the world through Jesus, is becoming known and talked about even among the angels as people see it. They don't trust sermons. We help the church. What I, you know, what I want to say is the scripture is written to us, the church, but we are written to the world. We are God's love letters to the world. And so all this is really important. And so today, I, all I want to do is just affirm the work of God in this church. This, this is an incredibly fruitful church, has been for decades. And so what I want you to know is your unity is powerful. The presence of the Lord is here. And just be aware that there's a lot of stuff that people can start talking about where they lose the focus on what brings us all together. Let me give you a couple of examples. One is, uh, people, two things. Gender identity right now, the Supreme Court case. A lot of people in church unpacking that, talking about it, disagreeing with each other about it. We need to have that conversations in the church. What do you think about it? And, and look at it scripturally, look at it pastorally, look at it legally, look at all that. In other words, there could be people in church who, who have decided that they just don't like the, the, what the church has said or done, and there's been some really bad stuff done by churches toward people who struggle with same-sex stuff in this country. We're getting some blowback now on that. Some of it we didn't do, you didn't do, but you're getting it. So what do we need to do? We need to have a conversation so that doesn't blow us apart. That doesn't cause several people to say, you know, I'm just out of here. Have conversations about those things. Another thing I find people want to talk about is end time stuff. I've got three people that I've had a conversation with in the last 10 days or so, two weeks, who gave me their vision of end times, and they said, do you, what do you think? And I said, I, I, I don't agree. Oh, really? Yeah. And then I gave them my view, and they said, well, I don't agree. So we did not agree on exactly any kind of map for the end times. And then we all laughed and said, and it doesn't matter that much. It really doesn't. But you know what? It's really cool that we can have that conversation in the church and keep reading Scripture and praying and looking. Because something has happened in this church to bring us together to make us church that's bigger than us agreeing about many of these other subjects. We have to get a hold of that or we just blow up. Paul wrote a letter to, to Rome, a church that was having a discussion, or actually they were having a tremendous amount of conflict, over whether or not the Jewish food laws of the Pentateuch 
were still the word of God for today's church. And you know what? In the book of Romans, he didn't settle the issue. Some thought it was yes. Some some thought it was no. A bunch of people in that church did not agree with Paul. I think he thought it was those those laws are not the word of God for today's church. But what he said is, okay, guys, let's deal with this with the freedom of the Lord so that we exalt what is most important and leave what is less important alone. Or at least at least agree to disagree. I think they were going to have a discussion about that issue in the spirit for another five, ten years based on some of the uh, lines that they'd drawn. And so he writes Romans. And he tells them, guys, you need to realize that you may disagree about whether or not these Old Testament laws are the Word of God for now, but I want to tell you what you have in common. Sometimes uh, as a family lawyer, I'd have people come and tell me, uh, what is the, you know, what are the scriptural grounds for divorce? I never would answer that. I don't want to answer that. I, I want to ask back, do you know what the scriptural grounds for marriage is? Let's talk about that first. What's the scriptural grounds for marriage? Well, you know, let's talk about that. And that's what Paul's doing in Romans. And he says, in every church, all of y'all are really messed up. That's what he starts with. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. You're either idolaters or you are self-righteous. Sickening. Both of you are sickening. That's what he's saying. None are righteous, no, not one. That's where he comes to. Yet, apart from the law and the prophets, God has come in the, in, in the person of Jesus and saved you. And you all get there the same way. By trusting him. You're all justified by grace through faith. You all receive the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation, Romans 8.1, which implies it'd be nice if you quit condemning each other. He talks about how Jews and Gentiles are actually, they both belong in the church because they're thinking, let's start a new church. The people that want to eat, the, the, that want to obey those food laws, they ought to have a church down the street after all. No. If you start a church for them and a church for over here, Jesus is not lifted up. The, the, the power of who Jesus is, his reconciling, friendship-making power is gone. If I say, well, I'm just going to start a new church for everybody that agrees with me. That is the totally different, he has a totally different vision. So in chapter 12, verse 5, and it took me 20, you know, I did not finish the letter to Rome for 25 years. Because at first, all I wanted was grace. I didn't want church. So I would read through chapter 3 or through chapter 5. But actually, chapter 12, verse 5, is one of his bottom lines in this. He says, in Christ, even though you don't like each other and you disagree, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. How cool. Jews and Gentiles, every, everyone in this room, how different your backgrounds might be, you all belong to one another. That's what Jesus has done. So it's really important to realize that when you became a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, you were pulled up into the life of God. You passed from guilt to not guilty. 
You passed from death to life. But you also passed from alien, alienation and stranger to family. And it all happened in a mighty work of God. Sometimes in our music, and this, the music's wonderful here, but I notice in all music, I'm not critiquing anybody here, I just noticed the music that's written in, in this country emphasizes powerfully, I think, salvation by grace. And emphasizes powerfully moving from guilt to innocence, so to speak. Moving from death to life. But I think we probably need some more powerful music that says, at the same moment that happened, you move from being a stranger to being in family together. See, some people think church is an option. It's not an option. Let's say you're born, let's say you're physically born in a hospital. Would you have done very well if your parents or my parents had not taken me home? They just put me in a basket on, on, you know, on the sidewalk by the hospital and left me there. From the very beginning, we need each other to live. The only reason I've ever grown up is because of hundreds of people speaking to me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about, some of you have little bitty children. Think about how this child talks. This child talks because you talk, goo-goo talk to them all the time. Talking, you're talking, you're touching, you're saying all these wonderful, wild things that no one could translate. Baby talk. Why? Because you're talking, we're communing. And then someday that child tries to do what you do. But what if no one ever talked to a little child? Oh, God, you know, it's awful. Think about that. That happens to some kids. Nobody's ever around to really parent them. That's what happens to us when we don't get church. We don't get community. That's what happens. And so Paul's saying we all belong to one another. He's also, he's also down in, in 14 verse 20 is saying, he says this, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Now, food's a big deal. Food, like I said, is a theological issue because it's the food of, from the, that's, they're commanded to eat and obey certain food laws in the Old Covenant Scriptures. So it's really a big deal. But the work of God is the biggest deal. The biggest. I've been in a church in about 31 years, and, some, and somebody asked me, when is the last time you were in a fight? I said, I do not, I have not been in a fight. I grew up fighting everybody. I love the fight as a, as a grade schooler. That's one thing Jesus got me out of. I don't fight because, you know what? It takes two. So when some missile comes toward me, just let it go in or let it hit the ground. Because what I want to do, I'm not going to be about destroying the work of God at that local church. Because there's something in the heavenlies, there's something mysterious, there's something powerful that no one can see, that God has brought us all together. And some argument that me, that I get into, could help wreck that. That's what he's saying here. What he, you know, I love what Paul says was, says is, guys, I don't have the perfect, infallible, biblical interpretation 
about this that I can tell you and solve, solve the questions today. I want to tell you, you're free in Christ. Figure out how to do it. Just figure it out. So when you get really wired about something, that's the Lord's message for you. You're free to, to exalt this above what you're thinking is really important. This is the big deal. That we're all together in Christ. The work of God is, is among us. Let us honor it. He says the work of God then must not be destroyed because it's something God has done. Uh, a couple of things about this before we move, move on is in the book of Acts, I'm amazed it says that when they became Christians or they were pulled up into the life of God, there was, they had one heart and mind. And, and I grew up thinking that you had to agree on everything to have one heart and mind. It is a gift. Unity is a mystery. It is a mystery that I am united with you. You acknowledge Jesus as Lord. I barely know many of you. I'm one with you. Unity is not uniformity. And it's not just some vague union thing. Unity is a mystery. I can't tell you what it is. I want to leave it alone and say, let the mystery, let's raise the mystery high. That's what's going on here. Because of this, he says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Probably a, probably a better translation of that in my view is welcome. Because in our culture, accept kind of means tolerate. And I don't think that's what he's saying. Tolerate one another in Christ just as Jesus tolerated you. That is not what he's saying. That's what some people think. No. He's saying, welcome each other. Jews and Gentiles that disagree on all these, welcome. When you come to home church next time, welcome. Don't just welcome your little group. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? Why? In order to bring praise to God. If you don't, it's going to get out in your neighborhood that your house church is falling apart. And who's going to praise Jesus over the fact that I exalted something above him? So this is, this is really important, and I'm just, I'm just you know, here as a, as a shepherd just to encourage you in your walk, because I believe this is a powerful, united church, and I just want to remind you of how powerful it is and how powerful you are in Christ. Now let's talk about the second little part of this, and that's about Sabbath about rest. I have a friend in the church that I really thought was my friend, but I think he's trying to kill me. Uh, his name is Phil Garnett, and we were, in, we were in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he went over and, and climbed this climb called the Grinder. It's, right, it's in North Vancouver. Some of you may have been there. Well, it's 2,700 feet straight up. It's like being in a stairwell that's 2,700 feet high. And there's 2,890 steps, I know, because I was in there. And it's 1.7 miles. And so I get over there and get in there, and the only thing I'd done is I put a whole lot of food in my backpack and a lot of water. And I get in there, and Phil said, Jim, you got to do it. you got to do it. He didn't tell me he'd almost killed his wife in there the day before. But no one should really do that unless, you know, especially, you know. And it was me and, like, uh, 
250 20-somethings. I got in there, and I went 50 yards, and I knew this is a mistake, a really bad mistake. So, and, and everybody's going by me. I'm not, I'm not leaving anybody. Everybody's faster than I am, and that hurt my pride. And so I, I sped up, which was a mistake, and darn near died at about a couple hundred yards out, <laughs> straight up. Then I just kind of thought, I pulled over the side, holding on for dear life to a tree, and said, come on now. And got my backpack out, hydrated, ate, rested, took a bunch of bre- it was breathing, and I said, what is your pace? Talking to me. I'm having a conversation with me. What is your pace? Not theirs. Look at that guy. Not his. I found the pace. It was very slow. But you know what? God obviously wanted me to go on up. You couldn't get down. It would kill you. There were people trying to go down, and they, were ha- they looked very disturbed. They were disturbed, and it was troubling. What I'm talking about is that we're on a marathon here. And that God is calling, God calls you to the life. He doesn't drive you. You're not in competition with anybody. And you know what the calling is? Is for you to grow up. And finish. And finish. We've had a couple of shepherds at Lake Highlands that have finished in the last 10 years. They didn't quit. They finished. In maturity. And the last part of their life was so beautiful and so wonderful because their pace was so great. So so just, you know. They found the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus, notice what Jesus says. Come unto me and I will give you not work, rest. I will give you rest. He gives us rest. At the very beginning of the creation, it says the evening and the morning of the first day and the second day and the third day. The beginning of the day is you asleep. God is active. That's the way the creation happens. When sin comes, we lose, we break off with the Creator. We do not understand this. And the idols come, and we are working feverishly trying to justify our existence. Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years without a day off. When they're called out of Egypt by the, the God who calls people, the first thing he does, I think it's amazing, is give them a day off every week. That is very different than that Amon Ray God down there in Egypt. This is what it means, this is what I think it means to be in Christ and to live the unforced rhythms of grace. We're called to rest and we're called to worship. And I, I want you to know that work occurs inside of worship. And worship is gratitude for us. You realize that uh, all of the pagan religion of the time of Jesus was about pacifying gods, doing things, making sure you did it right, and hoping to God that this, this God likes what you just did. Whereas in Christ, he has come 
and he has filled us with his spirit. He has died for us. Now our worship is just simply gratitude. Thank you. So we work as an expression of worship. We work at our pace. That's what we're about. And so when we work, there's three ways that you can work. You can work without God, and you'll burn out and brown out. Or you can work for God. That's a religious thing. I hear people saying, I'm working for God. It just kind of gives me the creeps. For God. It doesn't sound quite right. Scripture talks about us being co-workers and that he's always the initiator. I'm going to sleep. He's waking me up to join him in what he's doing. All the time. Never changes. So I'm working with God. I didn't grow up like this. I grew up where we were... We didn't even know the Holy Spirit really. We thought the Holy Spirit really was a retired author. And that the Holy Spirit, we did. He was. That's what the scripture was telling us, we thought. So we worked without God and we worked for God. And I watched people burn up by the time they were 50 and they were finished. We were finished before our time. He's calling us to work with him. And you know, I think what he I think what we don't see in a youth culture in this room, you're not going to believe it, but in, in, in Christ, your most productive years are going to be maybe past 60. Because you're going to know some stuff, you will have with some wisdom. I see people now who are 70 and 80 who are blessing hundreds of people. What's happened is they've got a rhythm going. They've got a rhythm going. They're using it for His glory. Just realize what He wants you to do is grow up and finish. You're not a sprinter. This, this, thing, this thing of life is not a sprinter. The sprinters that have come to Lake Highlands are not there anymore. They've all gone. They wore out. And when you get really, really tired, you get weirded out and you blame it on the church. That's what preachers do like me. Just work with God. Join Him. The last thing about this is this story that I love from Elijah. Elijah in uh, 2 Kings 18 and 19, Elijah confronts 400 Baal prophets. That's quite a, you know, quite a deal. And God comes in power, and there's a huge victory for the Lord God. But evidently, Elijah's not aware that that confrontation that day depleted him. Because when he, he goes back to wherever it was Jezebel was, I guess it was Jerusalem, and she says, I'm going to kill you. She just kind of whispers it to him. Scares him totally out of his mind. And he runs off. The guy who had confronted 400 prophets and had won this confrontation. What I'm telling you is that even if you're operating in your gift, you get exhausted and depleted. And God calls you to rest. So what happened? Elijah just does 
he just goes nuts. He goes running off. And finally, when the angel finds him, the angel doesn't quote scripture to him. The angel says, eat. You need to eat. You think that's not spiritual? It is spiritual. It's sacramental. And sleep. And I'll be back. And he comes back. He says, do it again. Eat. Sleep. Because you are in a wreck. He didn't have any medication back then, probably like we do. We don't know what wrecks we are sometimes. Finally, he comes to him after all of this. And I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. He comes to him and says, where are you? Basically, what are you doing? This woman whispered to you after you confronted 400 Baal prophets and you went crazy. You, you went south. Now, by then, Elijah has this little story, this self-pity story recorded. And his recorder goes off, and he goes off on, I'm the only one who's faithful in all of Israel. And that, that's the last line of it, and he's got another couple of lines. And God says, well, I want to show you my presence. So he does in a still small voice. You're familiar with that. And after that, God says again, Lord God comes to him and says, now where are you? He gives him the same story. The same little crazy uh, little recording he's got in his head. Things aren't, you know, he's not really pulling up out of this. But what is happening is God is restoring him physically. He's feeding him. He's resting him. And he's giving him his presence. He's showing him his presence. And then after the second kind of crazy conversation, he says, I'm calling you to do these things. There's two or three, actually you can read the text, there's two or three things he had for Elijah to do. One which is to go lay hands on your successor, Elisha. In other words, I want you to go do this. You can do this. You're called to do this. So he has restored him. He has given him a fresh revelation of his presence. And he has called him to a few things that he has for him to do. Like Jamie trying to figure out, I can tell you that pastors and church leaders and many of you in this room, there's no end to what you can end up doing in the church. It, I, most of the people I went through seminary with, they're not still doing this. They burned out a long time ago. And I think it's because in our culture we felt like we were, we were driven. We had, we had to... I had to prove something to somebody. And even in our culture, you can feel like you're a failure all the time. And a failure is a terrible thing. You know, a failure in this culture is worse than being a sinner. People commit suicide now because they feel like they're failures. I don't know anybody committing suicide because they're sinning. So this is, this is a big deal. That we realize this is a God who's called us. All of our security issues and significance issues are taken care of. You are significant. You are secure. Just hear his call. He's got a few things for us. The leaders, like Jamie, Kim, have certain things they do. Other people 
Other people do is have specifics. I love the fact that he's so specific with him about what he's to do. And then he says, oh, by the way, well, there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah. But what God's really saying is, it doesn't matter. If you're alone, be faithful. If there's five people with you in the world, be faithful. If there's 15,000 people on your side, be faithful. If there's nobody with you, be faithful. Because when he was out there with the Baal prophets, 400 of them, God, through him, defeated all the principalities and powers out there, and there was nobody helping. So let us, you know, I think I'm, I'm finished, I'm done. But I just want you to know, isn't this a wonderful God who calls us into such a wonderful church, has created it invisibly in the heavenlies, our unity, and has so kindly and gently called us to join him in the work of recreating the world. We have moved from the kingdom of anxiety to the kingdom of Sabbath rest. How cool is that? This is really cool. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We just thank you for Jesus. God, even as I just study world religions in my life in the last 15, 20 years, I'm just astonished at how wonderful Jesus is. Singularly wonderful. Thank you, Lord. We pray his Sabbath rest on this church.